All right, a quick break to talk about our sponsor. So if you run a startup and you're trying to grow, you need a marketing and sales tool that will scale up with you. Check out the HubSpot for Startups program. You can save 30 to 90% on the CRM, which is going to help you increase your leads, boost your revenue, and just keep your whole team organized as you're trying to grow. HubSpot for Startups is trusted by thousands of startups all around the world. And you should go check out if you're eligible to join the HubSpot for Startups program and take your growth to the next level. Visit HubSpot.com slash startups. Namaste. <laughs> namaste. That's our Corona. Namaste. Um, people are legit doing the foot handshake. Like several people have done this to me. Be like, all right, yep, Corona. One of our tap, tap. one of my coworkers, Bobby, put he on on Instagram. He's like, handshakes are just are disgusting right now. You have to do other things. And he put a video of him and, and another coworker, Katie, having their feet with their toes, toes interlocking. <laughs> <laughs> It just triggers everyone. Yeah, he was like, you can't handshake anymore. You have to do other (laughs) methods. And their toes are interlocking. That's like, that is the best content on on social media is these photos that will just trigger people. When they see that, there was one where this guy was on a plane and he was barefoot and he put his foot on the armrest of the of the person in front of him and it got like i don't know whatever the max number of twitter users are that could share that's how many people that's awesome we should uh i should take that from him and share share it on my stuff because i'll uh get some of their i'll steal their clout uh last podcast we talked about run the world yeah okay so retraction yeah big major retraction i signed up me and alan did it it sorry guys it didn't work platform sucks right now platform sucks i think that if they're listening you can get it right but you missed it this time. And you tweeted at them. Did they respond to you? Yeah, good customer service. And they, uh, I got a, I sent it to you last night. I couldn't go to bed last night, two or three in the morning. They just screwed up. So it's just kind of buggy right yeah. now. Yeah, yeah. All right, buggy. that's unfortunate. We'll figure it out. We'll, we'll figure it out. We'll try another one at some point. Um, but we definitely did it. Unfortunately, it didn't work. Yeah. Um, is there any, okay, so we can get. Uh, we can, other updates. How about Henry with the microphone? Talking to that, oh, get that, get one? that smooth voice, that Barry Manilow voice on here. What's up, guys? I'm Henry. Oh man, uh, look at that on the pod. New fan favorite. That's <laughs> awesome. Jamie of uh, from the from the Joe Rogan experience for this podcast. Powerful he, young Henry. But but he <laughs> is leaving. I know, but for now, it's powerful young Henry. I am leaving in a week, but uh, Alan will be replacing me, so you'll have a uh, a new fresh face. That's awesome. (laughs) So now when we need to look stuff up, and then Henry finds the information because we don't know what the hell we're talking about, now he can say it into the mic, which is great. Are there any other updates that we have to talk about? Run the World didn't work. Henry has a mic. Uh, No, that's good. Um, We asked people to subscribe and unsubscribe and send videos. I don't think it worked. Don't think that worked. Um, But podcast is growing anyways, so I feel happy. We're up. I think 55% since last month. Which is awesome. Solid and so growth. If you are listening to this, you don't have to do much. Just share this with a friend and you could tag either of us on Twitter and we will, I'll for sure reply. Sean will right. if you say get, he will and he might. I may or may not reply. But here's the thing. I was on my way over here today and you know I like to get in the mood. Like I like to prime my, I like to prime the pump. Um I couldn't. I was like, all right, what should I listen to that's going to get the ideas flowing, get the wheels turning, uh, so that when I come in here, my brain is already firing? There's no podcast to listen to that's like this, dude. I hate to say it. There's no other podcast that does this, where it's like there's a lot of good podcasts where it's great storytelling, great interviews, 
but nobody is playing mental hopscotch with ideas, and so I couldn't get anything to get me going. So, but that's a good sign for when us. When I wasn't here, Stu did it, and uh, I listened to it, and I loved it, and I loved the notes even more. Right. I loved the notes. I, I had no idea about the whole Christian tithing uh, business. Awesome, and I that's when I know it's good because I typically hate anything I'm involved in. And how about the guy who's doing the tithing business? He like oh yes, a, a guy messaged us. Um, it sounds like he was English. He must be in England. Yeah, he's in the UK. Um, he's basically so, so his thing was we didn't give him the idea. He say also, the background. So the background is we were talking about uh, me and Sue were talking about okay, cool religious re- religion tech, church tech. And one of the ideas that came up, or one of the things I told him, I said, somebody had reached out and said, give me three months. I'm going to be on the podcast because I'm going to build this thing. It's badass. You guys should know you're talking about church tech. There's this company that does digital tithing. It's called Push Pay. It's big. Four billion process, 98 million in revenue. There's another one called Tithely. And he's like, but they're not big in the UK or Europe right now. I'm going to build it in the UK and Europe. And in the, uh, the, the Facebook group, which we'll put the link in the show notes, uh, he's providing these video updates. So he posted his first video update. I don't know if you saw it, uh, where did. he's like, I got 23 customers, churches who are interested in doing this, including one that runs 2,000 churches. And he's young. And he's a young guy. He's a smart guy. And he's like, look, here's how I came up with this idea. And I'm doing it. I'm going to provide video updates every week in this thing. And uh, I love the wor- I love when people share their work. I love when people work in public. I think it's an extremely underrated thing to do. And every time you do it, you get this army of people who are rooting for you and opening up doors for you as you go. I t- completely agree. And I'm it keeps really, you accountable. Which I'm is excited good. to see what he's going to do. Hopefully his next video is a little shorter. Yeah, this one was like six minutes. Eight minutes. I, I, I watched two of the, the eight, but I, I, I enjoyed <laughs> all two that I watched. I like that guy. Uh, so show, I guess we should, we should put Abru's... Uh, I think that's how you say his name. Abreu. Maybe? Abreu. Yeah. Um, we should put his show notes in the in the description. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. This guy is a listener. He just makes these great notes. We don't know him. I mean, I met him recently. He called me a little bitch when I first met him. <laughs> that's what he did. Just to shock you or what? <laughs> well, I met him and he goes, "Hey, why don't you follow me on Twitter?" I was like, "I don't know. I'm sorry." And he goes, "Just stop being a little bitch and follow me." <laughs> that's one of the first things he said when I met him. I was like, "Nice to meet you." So, uh, kudos to that guy for. Whatever you want to give me. I had this uh, blog post. I used to try to blog about business back in the day uh, when we were doing our very first startup right out of college. And none of my posts got read by anybody. Nobody cared. But one post went semi-viral, and it was called The First Curse Advantage. And basically, I was saying how in a meeting, the first person who who uses a curse word uh, sort of establishes himself as the person who just doesn't give a fuck about the – they they put themselves in a position of power, right. and it also builds a different level of rapport because you're obviously using informal language with somebody else, and uh, you're demonstrating that you're not seeking their approval in a way. Uh, and so I always in meetings I do this. I try to be the first to curse uh, in in a meeting. And but can I say I don't love that? And I'm like because you don't like cursing in general. Or? No, I mean I I actually when I hear myself curse, I'm like man, I sound kind of trashy. I agree. I don't like when I hear myself do it, and I think I do it too much. But I've noticed in meetings, it changes the dynamic like instantly, and for better or for worse. But I've but I think there's a difference between being crude and for being sure. cursing actually. So like saying "bitch," I, I fucking hate. Right. Oh my god, did you just hear that? <laughs> that wasn't on purpose. So I don't like when people say that. Uh, I, I don't. <laughs> quick, quick story before we get into this. I went. I got married in September. Yeah. And I had to go. I got married at Catholic church, and you got to go meet with the priest ahead of time. And I was really nervous because 
I don't, I don't, I'm not practicing. I don't go to church. And, but I wanted, I, the whole wedding was, they have to approve it. And the whole wedding was on the line, right? So I had to like be a good Catholic and, or at least appear like one. And I remember I was sitting there and the guy was asking, the priest was asking me and my wife, my future wife about like, so do you guys agree on children? What do you think about birth control? All this stuff or whatever he was asking. And I would just say whatever I thought had to be the right answer. I was very nervous. I was like, "Uh, yes, sir. Yes, we go to church uh, three times. (laughs) Like I just said everything. And then my phone rings and I was so nervous. I go, uh, I go, oh, fuck. Sorry. It went really loud. And then he looked at me and I was like. Shit, my bad. I didn't mean to cuss. <laughs> and uh, I, th- I was so embarrassed and mortified. That's amazing. Yeah. But he was... let it go. He let it go. Good guy. Yeah, he let it go. And then I made a joke about how I was asking him what school he went to, and he said he had a lot of student debt. And he said, uh, uh, he's like, yeah, but the Is church. He's a young guy? Like young? Like in his 30s, or maybe okay. late 30s. And he said, uh, but the church pays for it. And I made like a joke like, ah, so that's why you joined. And he didn't. <laughs> He didn't he, appreciate that. He didn't like that. You want to get into it? <laughs> yeah, let's get into Can it. Can you uh, make that bigger? Curly girl hair. So you guys in Trends did a uh, post about nat- the natural hair movement. Yeah, that's a big big thing. And um, um, mixed, race, mixed race and black women. And so talk a little bit about what was in the report, and then I'll tell you uh, sort of what I've seen separate from that. It sounds like you're more interested in it. You tell me what okay. was in it. <laughs> All right. So, so I'll start with uh, – so my sister-in-law got, has super curly hair. And, and if um, you've never seen Sean, he's Indian. I'm Indian, and she's Indian, and she's got super curly hair. And um, curly hair takes a lot of maintenance, right? Like, it's humid, boom, it's frizzy, and you have, like, there's this episode of Friends where Monica's hair is like an afro. Uh, that that happens, or it's flat, or you want to straighten it, or whatever. It's a lot of maintenance of curly hair. And so um, she was telling me, she's like, yeah, I downloaded this, like, I joined this thing, I bought this PDF that's called the Curly Girl um, Guide or something like that. And um, it's this method to like taming your hair and getting because I told her I was like your hair looks great nowadays like what have you been doing and I just thought she would say like oh I use this other product she's like no there's like a twelve step process Is I'm this doing just every for night woman? anybody with curly hair black my, women anywhere else so my wife if you're uh, well I guess they wouldn't be able to see this my wife's black she's half white she's half also black. not here even if yeah. they're watching <laughs> yeah so she's half white and half black and she buys a lot of this stuff as well right and so like there's a whole thing of like you know when you go to sleep you need to wrap your hair in a certain way to sort of like whatever mm-hmm. the oils blah 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 and so then uh and like some basics that you just don't do so like she you know she had curly hair her whole life but didn't know oh I'm not supposed to use shampoo in the same way that most people use shampoo. And so she was telling me about some of these differences. Anyways, opportunity. I was like, I like these businesses where you could put out content and information that just helps people and then, and then sort of on the back end sell the kit. Um, that's like, oh, by the way, like if you just want to push a button and get the solution, I have the kit that has all the shit you need. Because she spent hours researching all the different products that like – what is the best version of this oil I'm supposed to have? What is the best version of the shampoo for me? And, um, and so anyways, I think there's an opportunity to do this curly girl hair kit because uh, there's this huge number of women that have curly hair. The spend is in the multi-billions per year in the U.S. for uh, how this gets treated. And there is this natural hair movement where it's less about doing these really damaging things like permanently straightening your hair or um, you know weaves and whatnot. Like now there's a sort of a natural hair movement, and so people need – uh, content like education plus the tools, um, this sort of the hair care kit um, to take care of the hair. Okay, so I love idea. that, Henry. Can you do me a favor on a new tab? Type in Reddit curly hair. 
So there's a whole subreddit. One of the ways I like to look at validation and ideas for different companies is I like to look at the engagement and size of a particular subreddit. How many subscribers does this subreddit have? I can't read that from here. Use that use that mic you got, Henry. What are, what are you doing? 337,000. That's pretty good, I think, actually, for a curly hair. And, and particularly because Reddit is uh, mostly men. Right. And this is a woman's focused curly hair subreddit with... Exactly. So great way to sort of validate the demand and, and the community uh, aspect to this where people are sharing information, recommending products to each other. The other side of this is it photographs great. So, you know, before and after, I believe, is the best ad that you can do. Before, which is a photo. After, which is a better photo. And um, you don't even need to show your product. You just need to show whatever I took gave me this outcome. I was here. Now I'm there. So my and wife loves this subreddit. Okay, so here's further validation. Um, okay, so particularly, so I think that the, the the angle here is you have to go ethnicity or race specific. Yeah. Uh, so whether it's Indian, I have no idea if Asian women suffer from this, but if they do go do that, I know from firsthand experience that mixed race women or uh, whether they're white and black or any other combination suffer from this as well. Right. And further validation is Fenty. Rihanna has that brand uh, right. that sold to uh, the Louis Vuitton company, or what's it called? L- LVMH. LVMH. Uh, they, and you could read about the deal. I think it was valued at $800 million. Mm-hmm. And her, a lot of her thing is towards uh, yeah, of course. mixed races. Um, and then another idea here, and everyone knows about this woman, but Kayla Itznew. It seems. It's sing. It's it seems. What's her thing it's, called? It's sweat nice. or some. Yeah, sweat's her app. This is. I sound like a, your wife does it. My wife does it. Yeah, I sound like an idiot because I'm a guy and I don't pay attention. To yeah, this, this stuff. whole segment is like bros trying to talk about you know products they don't understand. But I'm fascinated. I'm interested. I'm trying, and everyone loves a trial. So Kayla's thing. I heard that's a hundred million dollar year company. It is the fitness app itself, which that's is like crazy, phenomenal. and it was just built off her Instagram following. So that's crazy. I'm so into she this. She started with she started with the same thing. Beach, uh, the bikini body guide, I think, was her content that she just put a PDF. out, and then it was PDF, and then the PDF got circulated everywhere, and basically she allowed the like paid PDF to get bootlegged and just shared everywhere, and what that did was it just gave her tons of awareness, tons of marketing, and um, and then she launched the app, which you couldn't bootleg, and you had to pay for, it, and then boom. And the most interesting part about her thing was she, so she's like mainstream popular, and typically when things are mainstream popular, maybe sometimes like people who think they're cool can think it's kind of lame. And Sarah's a Ivy League educated New Yorker, and she was like, "Oh, I love this PDF." Right, <laughs> and so she has access to all types of interesting things, and she still uses it. And I and I thought that was amazing that people really respected and liked it. Yeah, she comes across very well. If you've ever seen her content, she's not like, um, she's not hateable. Like she doesn't yeah. come across as hateable. I so. thought that's cool. Um, what, oh, and last thing, Diva Curl. There, have you heard of Diva Curl? I have not. No. Uh, another mixed race shampoo. Maybe it's for black women, but or maybe it's I don't know what the I forget if it's black women or mixed race women. Uh, that's what we use for shampoo, and uh, it was acquired for acquired for a quarter of a billion. Nice. And there's some things on the opposite side, like Tristan Walker, who was I think either the co-founder or first employee of Foursquare, left to start his own uh, African African American men's skincare. Uh, product company walker brands walker brands where it was like you know shaving stuff because you know the hair is different it's coarse it's gonna the traditional shaving gear was causing problems and uh didn't work out went under and that kind of brings me to i don't know why it went under exactly i don't know if it was the well, business I fundamentals. Why they just raised too much money and 
fucked everything up. Okay, so when we started our business, we knew how to create our product and we knew how to get sales, but I had no idea how to run payroll. I didn't know anything about healthcare. I uh, I didn't know anything about that stuff. And so when we first started, we used a handful of different uh, payroll providers, uh, a couple of different HR providers, and none of them were that great. And so I read about this guy named Parker Conrad who launched this fantastic company called Rippling a couple of years ago. And since I read about it, I've been researching it and we finally pulled the trigger and started using them. And they are actually today's sponsor. So it's called Rippling. And what it does is when you hire new employees, it makes it stupidly simple in order to onboard them. It makes it really easy for your new employees to see your handbook, to see all the software you use, to get access to that software. Uh, and it actually makes something that I never even thought was a problem until I experienced it, which it makes it really easy to track all of your hardware and devices. You can see which employees use which computer, what software they're using. And uh, it's all one platform. So you could pay payroll, you can track healthcare, you can track hardware, you can do a bunch of really interesting things on it. They're today's sponsor. They're one of our only sponsors that we've had. We've been very selective of who we are allowing to sponsor this podcast. And we worked with them this time because I use Rippling personally and I love it. So give it a shot, rippling.com. That's R-I-P-P-L-I-N-G.com. Uh, Atrium folded. Yeah. So Atrium is a company that has raised $70 million? $75 million. $75 million. Um, you made a great comment that I've stolen and I've told everyone. But basically, Atrium, what they did... They never did anything, really, unfortunately. They tried to do a bunch of things. So at first, it was almost like a, you'd pay a, a flat fee and get a service done. And then they were like, all right, let's create software so lawyers can contribute with their clients and you can see what they're doing. Right. But you said, why didn't they just make a law firm? Exactly. So basically, Atrium, if you don't know, started by Justin Kahn, who is the founder of Just, uh, Justin.TV, which became Twitch. And um, you know, well-known guy in Silicon Valley. So he raises $75 million pretty much out the gate, like in two rounds, I believe. But uh, the first round, you know, I think they raised 10 million bucks out of $90 million valuation on just Justin saying, hey, I'm going to do a new thing. Um, and then they raised more money and they raised it all pre-product market fit. So before they knew what they had and what the, pro what the market wanted, they raised a ton of money. And what I call this is the curse of money, expectations, and people. And so what does that mean? The curse of money is when you get too much money before you actually know what you're doing, uh, You that actually decreases your odds of success doesn't increase your odds of success. Right. The second is expectations. Justin Kahn, famous guy, serial entrepreneur, raises a bunch of money at a high valuation. Now you have the weight of those expectations, which makes you less nimble, less agile, and less responsive to you know changing up your own And you know what offer. he told me? He spoke at HustleCon. I hung out with him backstage. One of my secrets of a HustleCon is I make everyone come an hour early. Right. And I lie to them about when they have to speak. Right. So I it starts hang. at 2. Yep. So I hang out <laughs> with them backstage and I meet all these people. I told one guy, the founder of Zapier, I hung out with that dude all day, Wade, doing this thing. And what Justin told me was, he goes, I have a chip on my shoulder that uh, Twitch sold for $1 billion. This has to be $10 billion or I'm not interested. And I was like, I don't know if that's a healthy, healthy attitude. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, Justin. <laughs> he goes, I have a chip on my shoulder, which I think that is actually healthy. I, I'm all for that. But he told me, he's like, here's what the expectations are. And I was like, that's a little crazy, dude, but whatever. Yeah, that is a little crazy. And uh, the last one is so the curse of money, expectations, and people. And people is when you have all this money and you have all these expectations, you start hiring a bunch of people. So they laid off like, I don't know, 100 people. I think 200. Why do they even have 100 or 200 people? And they were lawyer, like lawyer type. I mean, they, these people cost a lot. Right. And so b before you have product market fit, you want to have as few people as possible. You want to have as, you know, sort of lightweight expectations. You want to be extremely nimble and agile. So they tried to do a hybrid 
like you said, uh, I went to one. So one thing they did really well was Justin leveraged what he had. Leverage your assets, right? So his asset was he's got a name in the tech community. So here's what he did. He uh, first, when he raised money, he raised from like a bunch of VCs because he knew, well, they have companies. They're going to send their client. They're going to send their. Those are my future clients. And I love what what you're about to say now. I think that's even better. And so I don't know if you know, but uh, so I'm talking about these weekend things he hosted. Yep. Yeah. So did you go to one? Nope. So I went to I one of these. To a few. So he basically said, cool, weekend workshop. Uh, Justin Kahn is going to do an Atrium Academy workshop on the weekend. And it, I don't remember what the promise was. I think it was like how to raise money um, for your company. And so I went to one of them because I wanted to see what was up. And it's a kind of an all-day thing and at, the, at right? the Atrium office. And Justin's a very charismatic, magnetic speaker. Yep. And so he starts telling the Atrium stories like, you know, when we um, – we started this company and he's like, you know, one of the things about, I always thought he's like, I became involuntary. I became an involuntary power user of legal services. I love that phrase. He's like, because you know, when we were selling Twitch for a billion dollars, we needed a bunch of lawyers. And when I did this other thing, we raised money for, I need a bunch of lawyers and I do all these investments and I need a bunch of lawyers. So I just realized man, the legal system sucks and everyone's nodding their head. And he's like, you know, it's weird that you don't know the price of something. You know, they bill you by the hour, so they're incentivized to spend as much time and bill you as much as they can. You want it fast, and you want to know your price. We're like, yeah, you're right, Justin. I do want that. And he's like, you know, the second thing is, he's like, why? I looked into it. Why isn't there a competitor? Uh, no, no. The second one was, he's like, I was having dinner with my friend who's a lawyer, and I asked her, you know, what do you guys use for project management? She's like, what do you mean? He's like, do you use Trello or Asana? And she's like, I don't know what those words are. He's like, lawyers don't use anything for their project management. Isn't that crazy? We're like, yeah, that's crazy. Last one, he was like, he's like, so then I was like, why doesn't somebody start a competitor? He's like, I realized there's some legislation that says you can't start a law firm. And I'm going to butcher what the actual legal problem was. But like, there was a rule. You cannot start a law firm unless you're a lawyer. And unless you've been a lawyer for a certain amount of time or whatever it was. He's like, so that's why no outsider has done this. But luckily, we found a loophole that let us start this law firm. So we're one of the only new law firms that started not by these people. And by the end of it, you're like, dude, take my money. I want, you know, I want to invest in your thing. Your impression of Justin Kahn is the is so condescending and so funny. <laughs> I don't mean it that way. I was impressed. I'm trying to say he told this story and I was eating it up. And um and so I was like, this is amazing. This this whole workshop was amazing. He brought in his friends who were giving advice and they were fucking awesome. Uh, they were so good at giving advice. And so anyways, by the end of it, uh, and he gives me advice. He was just like, because we were building on the Twitch platform with like a Twitch sort of like the streaming app thing. And he was like, yeah, you know, we thought about doing that and we don't think it's valuable. I don't, don't think everything's going to be valuable. <laughs> and he was pretty much right. Um, we had to pivot. And so we... So anyways, by the end of this, I was like, this was an amazing way to acquire customers. Yeah, I agree. And that's my like long-winded way of saying he used his assets. He did these workshops. It's not a scalable thing. But man, he, I don't like he when you won say people that. over. You're, I think you're so wrong what, when you say that it's not, not a scalable, scalable thing. First of all, you don't need that many customers for this thing to make a very large well, He could have got 100 clients easily within a couple months. Yeah. And what, I hate when people say that. They go, this isn't scalable. Like... Um, they'll talk about agencies and they'll say it's not scalable. It's like, what are you talking about? Some agencies have 20,000 people. That seems like it's scaled to me like perfectly fine. I do think those are scalable actually. Um, it depends, right? If you're a product that needs thousands and thousands of customers, then doing workshops with 20 people at a time is not going to get you there. Um, so it's not scalable in that sense. So you want to hear a cool story about that? The founder of Pandora, his name's Tim Westergen. I went and met with him. When I went and met with him, we were we went out to lunch and he's like, Oh, I forgot to do something. Let, you, can you walk with me? And I walk with them. And then we go and 
He goes, I got to get a haircut. And so I just sit next to him. And this guy's worth probably $600 million. We go to Supercuts. Right. And he gets a haircut for $12. And we're sitting there in the barbershop. It's on a Tuesday at 1. No one's there. And he's telling me the story. I go, what did you used to do? How'd you grow Pandora? He goes, here's what I would do. Monday through Thursday. He goes, I had a COO who ran the company. I would go. I would just... He goes, this was before... I think it was a little bit before social media was around. He said, I would email people and I would say, I'm going to be at this library in New York at this time. Any Pandora users in the area, come and talk to me. And he said he did that for four years. And he goes, here's the first one I did. And he showed me a picture of him at a coffee shop. He goes, two people showed up. And he goes, here's the last one I did. And he showed me a picture and it was at the library and there was two or 3,000 people there. He goes, I would do that Monday to Thursday. I did meetups everywhere. All I did was travel and I did it for years. And uh, it worked out. He goes, he goes, I was like, did it work? He goes, every time I did it, so like, he goes, it would take a little while, but after a couple of years of doing it, I would go to the South or I'd go to Atlanta and we would see more advertisers come. So it was just like, he goes, it worked out perfectly. Right. And because I said the same thing, I go, wow, that's a horrible waste of time. He goes, no, it worked. We made a lot of money off of it and I got to connect with users and I would relay the feedback back to the, right. my, my CEO and they would do it. Yeah. You, so that case, he's not trying to grow Pandora's active user base. He's taking fans and turning them into diehards and he's, he's generating advertising revenue, which you can get that actually scales enough to where you can get advertisers and he's getting feedback firsthand, which is like great for the product to get better. Uh, that's a dope story. It's a dope I, I love, story. I love, I love that story. There's your, there's a clip related to that, by the way, there's a, um, you know, there's probably like 10 blog posts that matter the most. If you're going to do a startup, one of them is the Paul Graham essay, uh, do things that don't scale, uh, where he's talking about with Airbnb, uh, early on. And if you're kind of in the startup world, just fast forward 30 seconds, but if you're not, you'll like the story. Um, if you haven't heard it. So Airbnb is in Y Combinator. They're struggling. Airbnb is not really working. They have like, I don't know, 20 customers or something low. And they go into Paul Graham's office. He's the the advisor from Y Combinator. And he's like, okay, so tell me how it's going. And they're like, well, you know, it's small and not really growing. And he's like, okay, but tell me what, what have you learned from your customers? You've been out there. What'd you learn? And they're like, well, you know, most of our customers, you know, most of our customers are, are in New York and they're putting their apartments up. He's like, they're in New York. They're like, yeah. Like most of your customers are in New York. He's like, yeah. He's like, what are you doing here? Like go to New York. You need to go to New York now. And like, uh, why are you in San Francisco if your customers are in New York? So he sent them over there. And what they did, which is something that nobody else was doing, was if you ever saw an apartment listing before, the photos looked like shit because it would be somebody on their crappy mobile phone at that time taking a photo of a dirty apartment and uh, listing it for rent. And so it was like the worst sales pitch. And so they started themselves going in. They said, hey, can we send up? They would tell their customers, hey, we want to do professional photos of your place. It increases bookings by 40%. Um, are you open to that? And then they would show up as the professional photographer and be like, Hey, by the way, I'm the founder. And uh, they would take photos and that Airbnb listing started to look great. And everyone told them this won't scale. And they also thought this won't scale. And to an extent it did, because even now today, there's a sort of fleet of photographers that will come and take photos of your place to list it because it was just that important. And they found a way to make it scale. I think Um, that's a great story. Another thing that shocks people is I think even if you have hundreds of thousands of users, maybe as high as millions, you could really, I, I've done this with us. I will just call and talk. I only need to talk to about 10 people. Right. And I can see the pattern that represents tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people. Right. I could, you could just tell. You, so like what you could do is A-B test shit and wait. If you're just starting, you're not going to, it's not going to be significant. Um, and that could work fine. If you just call 10 people, you really get the information right. you need. Totally. I was talking to Emmett. So Emmett's the CEO of Twitch where I'm working and, um, 
one of, you know, being at a big company has all these different weird things that aren't really related to my core interest, which is startups. So I ask Emmett all the time, just tell me about the early days. And so I asked him, I said, Hey, uh, when you guys were pivoting from Justin TV to Twitch, was that obvious? He's like, no, dude, at Justin TV, like less than 2% of the watch time was on video games. It wasn't obvious that this was the thing to do. He's like, I just liked it. And I thought there was an option. And he goes, and then I talked to a bunch of customers and I said, do you have your notes from that? And he's like, yeah, I do. And so he sent me his notes from the initial conversations he had with all these streamers, all these customers. Can we publish those? No, no, I don't probably not. But uh, I was reading through them and it was fascinating. So first it was just like, first lesson was just go ask the founder or CEO about the early days. I bet you they have a bunch of resources that are awesome. Like he sent me the old pitch decks and stuff like that. Um, I think I sent you one slide, which was my favorite slide. The title of the slide, because it was a progress update for their early investors. Yeah. That and was it a just ago. said, um, we're like a bulldozer in a field full of flowers. And it just and then it was a list of all the shit they got done that month. And I was like, this attitude, like if I said that today at Twitch, it would be like, what is this maniac saying? Like, why is your slide so aggressive? Uh, but that's how they were early on. So then he had all these notes of his customer conversations. And he always tells everybody at Twitch, he's like, go talk to people. By the sixth conversation, you'll hear the same thing over and over again. It takes six phone calls basically to figure out the pattern. And by the, by the sixth one, you'll know and uh, you'll, you won't even want to do 50 conversations. You'll be like, all right, I, I can predict what this person's going to say before they even say it after six. That's awesome. I think we just got ourselves another clip. Clip it. <laughs> uh, what do you want to want to uh, – first of all, share that deck with me again and also ask him, ask him if we can make that public. Yeah, I will ask him actually because it's pretty cool. What do you want to do? Uh, the one thing I can share out of that, by the way, he asked three qu- – he's like – I said, you know, the, oh, customer interviews. Is there a whole skill set to learn? He goes, no, dude. I asked three questions. I said, what do you like about your current platform? What do you dislike about your current platform? And what will it take to get you to switch to Twitch? And that's what he asked every single customer. And then he just heard the common things and he would build it and he'd go back to me and said, you told me this is what it would take for you to switch. Two weeks later, here it is. Are you ready? And then sometimes they're like, no, still. He's like, okay, cool. What's next? And he would just like keep doing that. Three questions. That's badass. Just to wrap that up, if you want to learn about this stuff, I think the best book I've ever read on this is called The Mom Test. Yeah, I love that. Jack recommended me that book. It's fantastic. It's the best thing. Tiny book too, like. It's a know, long 50, blog post. 50 pages or something. Yeah, it, yeah. That book, um, in terms of your business life, it might change. Yeah, the lot. mom test. Okay, so there was this great write-up in the Trends uh, Facebook group by this yeah. guy Morgan or girl Morgan. I'm not sure exactly, but Morgan Key. And it was talking about, hey, the founder of Trader Joe's just died. I think Joe – I don't know how you say the last name, but Joe from Trader Joe's uh, passed away. And um, you know, so he dug into the model and said – uh, what is it that makes Trader Joe's work? And there's a bunch of really fascinating things where they basically broke all of the rules. And I thought it was just like a great example of um, of like, you know, when you want to do something different or you want to like make a splash in an industry, like it pays to just change a bunch of the rules. So some of the things that they do differently. So yeah, they let's go through the rules. So they uh, most grocery stores have a ton of SKUs. They're like, oh, people want all the options. We got to carry everything that people ask for. Trader Joe's has, on average, I think 4,000 SKUs. An average grocery store will be 40,000, so one-tenth the number of SKUs. Um, The next thing that I thought was interesting was they overstaff, not understaff. So every other grocery store is trying to sort of uh, have minimal labor costs, and they go the exact opposite direction and try to provide, like, an experience for shopping. They private label basically all of their goods. So how do you – okay, 
great. I overstaff. I overstaff, but that's like expensive. So where do they make their money back? Yeah. They make their money back by not buying, uh, you know, not by buying wholesale and selling retail. They actually just private label their stuff and have a way bigger margin on their items. So what's an example of that? So, so their like products? their tomato sauce, for example, they will have or salsa. It'll be called Trader Joe's salsa. And people will be like, oh, I love Trader Joe's salsa. And it's actually the same exact salsa that somebody else carries. They go straight to that supplier or manufacturer and they say, hey, we want our own line of this. And so it's usually oh, so Trader Joe's isn't making it. No, they, they, they go to the supplier, but they private label the, that, that exact item. Oh, I didn't know they that. They carry it. They, ca- they get a much bigger margin because they're cutting out the sort of retailer. And they have all this pricing power to go to suppliers with and say, hey, we have all these locations. So we are already a big customer from day one. Uh, we want you to give us our own brand That's of popcorn, fantastic. our own brand of this, our own brand of that. And then on the other side, that makes customers love it because people will get addicted to this. And they think, oh, that pretzel, that chocolate-covered pretzel I loved, I can only get it at Trader Joe's. But that's not the reality. <laughs> because there's no brand on it, but they could actually get that same thing. They just don't know the brand, and it's from some other place. I have felt that exact same way about a lot of their products. And so there was a, uh, there was a few other ones that I thought were interesting. I'm, I'm going to dig it up, but uh, talk for a second while I just So I'll email. tell you guys a quick story since we were talking about scaling. I talked to Max Mullen at HustleCon, and he, he, listen to this story. He told me that when they first started Instacart. Who's Max Mullen? Max Mullen started Instacart. Okay. He goes, he goes, our first store was Trader Joe's, and they wouldn't let us go in there, and they wouldn't give us all their inventory. He goes, I took – it. Took, he goes, it cost twenty five grand. I bought everything in the store. <laughs> we brought it to an apartment. Took a photo t- of it. Took pictures of every single thing. I love it. And it was $25,000. He goes, one of everything was about twenty five grand, And he did that with Whole Foods and then five other stores. That's amazing. Okay, a couple other points that Morgan brought up. So – uh, no data collection, so they're not collecting data on their customers. Yeah, they don't ask for your sales. They don't do sales, coupons, loyalty, or or advertising. Uh, the biggest expense, so their marketing, is samples in the store. So they go above and beyond on samples and don't uh, do a whole bunch of other promotional stuff. Uh, they expanded very slowly. So they have about 500 locations after 50 years. And so uh, they really went sort of slow and steady with their growth, sort of like a in and out or whatever. And are they owned by someone at the moment? Private company. Um I don't think they got bought by a private. I think it's literally like owned by the Joe. original whoever's. Uh, there's a couple people involved, um, and so in, in the end, their price per or sorry, their earnings per square foot in their store. So they'll earn two thousand dollars per square foot revenue, um, and like Whole Foods would do one point two k, and then you know Walmart will do six hundred k. So they're way more profitable per square foot because of or sorry, way more revenue per square foot because of these um, uh, these different changes they made to the to the standard model of a store i dig that store. i uh we we should i don't know why we didn't we should publish that i think it's company. a 10 billion dollar uh company overall I, I, I thought they were owned by aldi's for some reason you might be right i don't know on that but uh shout out to morgan i thought this was a great breakdown uh love it do more of that in the groups we love this stuff and we'll share the information uh because yeah more people need to learn from this stuff so that's actually an interesting take which is what are the interesting components that make something special so we're doing this thing that we're going to publish on Tuesday on hotels. And I thought that that was really interesting. And so it's not live yet. So I haven't been able to read all of it. But basically, a lot of the largest hotel chains, what they do is they don't actually own the property. I mean, or sorry, sometimes they own the property, but it's all franchised. Yeah. And so 90% of their money is made via yeah. franchising. Hilton's, Marriott's, whatever. Yeah, I had no idea. Yeah. Uh, and so that's one of like the secret sauces, which is you have to do franchising. And it's really expensive. Like could be... $10 million to start a Marriott franchise. Right. Very expensive. That's not that expensive. 10000 That's cheap for a franchise. Sorry, I said $10 million. 
Oh, 10 million. Okay. Like it could be millions of dollars. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's a lot. It's crazy. And so what, what we've been doing on trends and what I have always loved doing, which is what's like, what's like the, the thing that makes something special. What makes it tick? Yeah. So for example, with software, typically it's just, um, uh, what makes a great software business is like, there's, I, I'm, I'm just riffing here, but I'd have to find the exact numbers, but it's like, are, is the annual revenue per customer at least $5,000? Um, can you make it so churn is only 4% a month? And then there's, uh, probably only one or two more rules, but it's usually churn. And can it be at least five grand a year for a SaaS business you're talking about? Yeah. And so I love seeing those like, yeah, you want so what investors do is they see so many deals and they talk to so many founders and they do this for a number of years. They get to see how these play out. They start to do what they call pattern recognition, which has pros and cons. The pros is great. You can recognize a good thing when it's a good thing. The con is if you're trying to make everything fit your pattern, you'll miss the outliers. And that's a that's a big issue. But um, but it's worth it's still a, a tool in your tool belt that you should have. So I feel like it should this should not just be investors that do, do this. This should be entrepreneurs as well. So you should be looking at different businesses, industries, breaking them down, uh, listening to podcasts like this or others, and um, trying to uh, identify the patterns and commonalities and try to characterize, okay, what made that business tick? What made this have a different outcome than that? Uh, what are the sort of uh, minimum requirements on, let's say, churn or customer, you know, customer value um, for a SaaS business to work? And start to get these rules of thumb or like kind of common patterns in place in your brain. Yeah, and what what I've been trying to do is figure figure out those on on all types of things. Yeah. And that's been exciting. Uh, you want to do one more? Uh, yeah, let's do one more. So there's this thing called Thinks, uh, T-H-N-K-S. Um, Wait, where, where is that on here? Oh, uh, it's just I right see. in the middle. Oh, okay. What's that? So I saw this in a, um, an Instagram ad or something like that. I thought it was kind of, kind of clever. So um, B2B gifting. So what Thinks does, or I think it's probably Thanks that they're trying to do, which is saying thanks. Oh, that's stupid. I hate cute spelling. Yeah, cute spelling kind of kind of tripped them up there. Um, so what it does is it's like from your phone, you can instantly just send a little gift to any business acquaintance. So it's like you can send um, you know, a, a bottle of wine. You can send a box of chocolates. You can send an Uber Love ride. It. You can send $25, you know, Amazon thing, whatever. Uh, so they have a whole bunch of different um, digital gifts that are it just looked the in in the ad it looked frictionless of like how easy this would be to just send this little thank you to everyone so for someone like you guys you guys have advertisers we have guests that come on the podcast and I know I would love to send them gifts I know that I should I know these little things go a long way even though it just seems like they shouldn't but I don't take the time to do it and so I think if somebody actually made a really good B2B gifting platform that did both the actual gifting so being able to send it to your contact uh, but also they sort of accounting for it. So keeping track of it in a spreadsheet and all that stuff, maybe helping you expense it. Um, I think that could be a big business. I think a I lot of salespeople would use this. I totally agree. The way, what, what are you pointing? Did he do that? Uh, no, there's a company called Alice and they do uh, artificial intelligence powered B2B gifting. It's really cool. They basically scan your social profile and they figure out what your interests are. They send you an example of a gift they want to send to you, um, like on behalf of a company. And then you're able to either donate the value of that to a charity of your choice or pick from the marketplace um, a gift of similar value. That's badass. I like that. What, the, what I would do uh, one or two things. The first thing that I would do is I think the way that I would set this up is I would make it pretty heavy on Slack or integrate with Salesforce. So yeah. we've built a couple Salesforce plugins that we love and other people have asked us to give it to them. What, I, what's an example of one? 
Uh, I'm not involved in our Salesforce thing, but basically, uh, like one example is we've connected our QuickBooks and our Salesforce really effectively, um, which was a previous previously a really hard problem. I mean, that's real nitty gritty accounting stuff. Gotcha. But it was really uh, frustrating. Another thing that we built in Salesforce was so that we the way that we built our business is uh, we can get a line of credit on our invoices. And we've synced it all. We, we've synced it all up, so our bank knows which invoices we have based off Salesforce and things like that. Right. And it's really effective. But what I would do in this is I would hook it up to, to Salesforce or Slack, and I would make it so you could send coworkers as well. And basically, the boss puts your credit card down, and he allocates it or she allocates it, so every employee gets automatically like some number of ten dollars to two hundred dollars a month. Right. And you have you can like type in like send Henry a gift at san francisco office right and like for example i buy gift gift cards for people all the time where someone has done something really cool or like Edie was saying her car's i don't know if, she, if her car's messed up i'd be like send Edie hundred dollar uber gift card right that i think that would be fantastic and the way right. that i would build it is that it would remind every employee how much balance they have left at the end of the month <laughs> so you for sure know it's going to get right get used that's kind of that's really interesting and um i would also look at uh what's the What's the fruit baskets that are popular? Edible uh, arrangements. Edible arrangements, yeah. I would look at their... I would go... The, I they think crush. Pu- yeah, I, I think they're publicly traded. Yeah. I would go and read all about how they do it and where they f- say are the biggest markets for their B2B right. clients. Is it real estate agents who need to you know, yep. always be out there? Is it sales? Is it... Um, you know, I don't know, whatever else. Uh, so there's some stats that are on here. I don't know who added these, but great. 89% oh, of... Oh, he did. Alan did. Nice. Alan, shout out to Alan. 89% of C-suite execs believe that gifting brings people closer together. Okay, love it. Um, <laughs> and then after receiving a gesture of appreciation, individuals feel like sort of the what the, the rule of reciprocity. Yeah. Uh, so 56% more likely to reciprocate. And um, and I think it's I think it's great. Um, I have a friend, Greg Eisenberg, who's all about gifting. Ramon is a great gifter as well. He's almost obnoxiously good. Yeah. And so they they just are so thoughtful. And uh, by little things that go a long way, it just makes you love the person. Yeah. So another thing I would do to run this company is I would go to, is it uh, it was it's a book called Influence by Robert Cialdini. He's got this thing called the Rule of Reciprocity. It's summed up in uh, basically, I can do a favor for Sean, and he's going to do a favor back to me, even if he didn't ask for me to do him a favor. And it is likely that he will repay me back in a disproportionate amount. So, for example, there's been times you could like go up to someone and you could be like, "Hey, uh, you want to? You want to? Can I give you a Coke or can I give you a uh, like this small ten dollar gift?" And I could be negotiating with you for selling a car and get a deal and get a deal, right? Uh, or, for example, I could say something like, "Hey, can you grab my mail or let me grab your mail for you when you're out of town?" And then two weeks later, I could be like, hey, can I borrow your car for five days? <laughs> and typically people will do it. And so right. I would make the whole tagline of my company, which is like, I would make, I always think of like in terms of headlines and copywriting for sales pages, I would make the whole headline all about how you can manipulate, you have to use positive language, but how you can manipulate people by giving gifts. I mean, that, I, I would, <laughs> what, would you, what would your headline be? I, I, what, I would go to that book, uh, The Rule of Reciprocity. Oh, yeah. And uh, I would find an find interesting. It, find a great in one. fact, maybe that's what the headline would be. It would be the definition of the rule of reciprocity. Like, I would make it look like a definition: rule of reciprocity, like yep. noun or something. And, like, right. Defined as inadequate or uh, uh, disproportional given in response to a gift. Yeah. In other words, we help you make more money. So, th- so theirs, theirs is. I just went to their website. Growing business through growing business with gratitude. 
Build strong business relationships through efficient, personalized, and thoughtful gestures of appreciation. That's whack. <laughs> That's whack. That sounds like a By the way, good company. Uh, dude, I get a, every company we mention on here, um, I get a message that either the CEO starts listening to it or they were already listening to it. So, like, we talked about OnlyFans. The founders listened to this. No shit. Uh, we talked about um, Pipe. The founder reached out. Just, you know, hey, I love it. I'm listening Why don't to they it. reach out to me? I too. talked about Mystery Science. Uh, I hung out with the founder yesterday, and he was like, we were Which jamming. Mystery Science? Mystery Science is the uh, amazing business. It's Bill Nye the Science Guy delivered into schools. Yeah, wait. Why don't we get those people on here? Uh, we can, yeah. He was a, he was awesome, and by the, I didn't realize he had you know three little exits under his belt, and he was doing this, and the business is just spitting off cash. It's amazing. It's used by like a crazy number. You know, the public thing they, he told me some other numbers, but I'll say the public thing he told me, which is that fifty percent of elementary schools in America are active users of their product, which is insane uh, penetration. Which and that just means one classroom within the school. But whatever, you got to fifty percent of schools being active users on a weekly basis um, for the product. I love that. Incredible. Let's uh, get those people on here. Let's go to questions, eh? Yeah, let's do some quick ones. All right. Uh, so we asked people to do subscribe and unsubscribe and send us a video of them doing it, and we would answer a question that they sent. The truth is, is a lot of the questions were pretty <laughs> okay. Yeah. So we're gonna avoid some of the okay ones. Like, what would you do if you had unlimited money? I'm not gonna answer that. I think that's. An okay question. Let's see, but let's see what is uh, a couple good questions. Love the podcast. What's your best SEO hack for a new website? From Steven Sintra. So I I know zero about SEO. Um, so for me, I love marketing. I love growth, but you sort of specialize in certain sub practices within that. SEO is not one of mine. But met a guy yesterday, and he was like, uh, he was telling me he's growing these content sites. He's got a pretty repeatable model to grow content sites over 100,000 monthly visits, uh, up to a million monthly uniques, like within two months. And I was, he's done it like 10 times. And I was like, okay, well, what's the formula? Are you an SEO guru or what? He's like, oh, no, I don't know SEO. I don't do backlinks. I don't know what a schema is. Like, I don't do any of that stuff. He's like, I'm all content, and I just try to rank on quality and relevance. And he's like, basically, he just looks at what questions people search for using a tool like Ahrefs or whatever. And so he goes and finds what questions are people searching for, looks at the search result. And if somebody's like, you know, the 20 best tips for closing a sales meeting, he'll do the 30 best tips. And he'll put in a YouTube video. And he'll, like, add all this value in. And so he literally just, like, crushes it on uh, on those questions. And some of that, sometimes those questions are, like, you know, people Google their deepest, darkest secrets. They're not, like, politically correct things. They'll be like, you know, what's the best way to, you know, like, uh, tell your girlfriend you're cheating on them or whatever. And so he'll be like, the best way to tell your girlfriend you're cheating on them. Things that companies, most sites are not blogging about. He's like, if there's demand, I will write the best content for it. And I will rank over the course of a couple months and I'll get my, my website up. I'll tell you a, a quick story real quick. First, I would say my answer to this is I've done the same thing. I've accidentally been good at it. I would just use two tools, HAREFs and then SEO Moz. Or is SEO Sorry. Uh, uh, Yoast. Yoast. It's a plugin for WordPress. That's okay. the, that, those are the, just use those two tools and you'll be fine. Uh, and when YouTube first started in 2000, from 2010 to 2009 to 2012, I had a YouTube channel that had millions of mil- tens of millions of views. Uh, and all I would do is I would find words, people, th- things that were things people were searching for. And I would put a video with that exact same title. And then I would make it just a picture and not actually a video, <laughs> the clickbaitiest picture. 
and then I would sell space on that video as background music. And I made hundreds of dollars a month when I was a senior in high school doing that. And so if you ever want to see a thumbnail video of a guy, it, the, the, my most popular video, it, they took it down. It's called uh, Black Guy Beats Up White Guy. <laughs> so people were searching for that. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. And you could just type in, the, and what you could do is you could just type in the word white, and it would autofill, or type in the word like uh, fight. Because right. fight videos were popular, or probably still are. Look at the autocomplete. And it would, would autocomplete. Auto I did it. that same thing, and for some reason, I, I learned that those fight videos did great. Uh, okay, another question. So Robert asks, uh, what big picture uh, thing should I be looking at for my podcast to be profitable? It's a medical podcast where I talk about certain diseases and interview people who have them. And then he shouts out the name of it, which is The Patient Will See You Now. Uh, all right. So, what should he be? How should he be thinking about making his podcast profitable? Should we tell we, him as we, experts of a not so profitable podcast? Yeah, we do not have a profitable podcast. We don't. have Well, a lot it's of profitable. That. It's just small relative to like other opportunities we could be doing. Yeah. <laughs> it um, makes money every month. <laughs> what What's your answer? Uh, I would basically so not try to go for big. So, podcasts you can either go big audience ads, or you can say my podcast is lead gen for other things that I do. And uh, so, like, I've gotten more value out of businesses and investment opportunities coming from this podcast than the ad revenue we get every month. And so, uh, similarly, I think here, if you're the people who are going to listen to this podcast, um, you you know, they might be patients with a certain disease. You might be able to sell some premium ad spot to, you know, some pharmaceutical company, but you probably don't have the scale. And so, instead, what I would be looking for is I'd say, cool, if I had a podcast with 5,000 doctors listening to it every month, what? What can I do with that community? Uh, what other adjacent opportunities, business opportunities, can I create out of that that loyal community? And so I'm a big fan of just build the tribe first. The opportunities re- reveal themselves as you go, and that's how I would go about it. I wouldn't try to do ads uh, for your podcast. I've got nothing to, to add. I think it's a good idea. Cool. You want to do one more? Uh, yeah, let's do one more. Okay, first three months of your business, what are your first three steps? Very generic question. Uh, Is that even that useful? Uh, I hate, okay, let's combine it with best. Uh, man, some of these people, they ask the most general questions. Yeah, okay, here's some advice. I have a phrase, ask a better question, get a better answer. Um, so ask a specific question. Uh, don't ask, like, you know, in the first three months of a business, what are your first three it's steps? It's like saying, like, what art is good. Right, or, like, you know, how do love you? Like, yeah. what? <laughs> <laughs> like, I can't tell you what. It's like, how do you how do, you do art? It's like, I don't know, man. You want to talk about like uh, oil painting of the Renaissance right. era? We could let's talk about that. Okay, here, here's a, here's a question that I will ask to entertain myself here. Um, what's your favorite interview question when you're interviewing somebody for a job? Uh, on a scale of one to ten, how lucky do you think you are? Nice. Where'd um, you get that from? Uh, when I interviewed at Airbnb, the founder asked me it. It's the Jeff Bezos question. He, he? he was the, I think, the originator of it, or made it popular at least. Uh, they asked cool. Jeff Bezos, "What's your favorite question?" He said this, and now Joe a bunch Gebbia of us have stole this. Joe Gebbia asked me it, and I told him a nine or a ten, and he said why, and I explained to him why, and I go, "Why did you ask me that?" He goes, "People who uh, say they're really lucky are the people I want to be around." Right. I was like, "Why do you think that?" And he goes, "Well." If you're lucky, if you think you're lucky, you must be talented and things just fall in your place or you actually are lucky. And I want to surround myself with lucky people. I don't <laughs> want to be around other lucky people. Yeah. The, the specific of the question is uh, how lucky of a person do you think you are? One to ten. One, two, three is like uh, I'm not very lucky. I don't consider myself a lucky person. Um, four, five, six is I think I'm pretty I think I'm, you know, decently lucky average. And I, you know, I think I know why. 
or sorry, I don't know why. Just that's just how it is. And then this, uh, the sort of the eight, nine, tens are. Um, I consider myself a very lucky person, and here's why. And uh, you want people who are either, you know, if luck is a thing, you want them around you, just like he said. Or if they're not, you want people who are optimistic. And, uh, you know, when you're building a, a young business, you need optimistic people. And then the the why part is interesting, too, because some people know how to earn, uh, engineer serendipity. They know how to engineer lucky situations for themselves. Or they're looking out for situations where they may be getting lucky and pounce on those opportunities. And that's, again, somebody you want in an early business. And then I'm going to ask you the same question. I, and I think I know what yours is. But I'm going to say this, another one that is deadly. I love this question. And this is when you back channel on someone and you want to ask about, so let's say I'm interviewing Henry and you're his old boss. and I, I Reference go, check. I'll go, I'll go, Sean, what would you give Henry out of 10? Just say a number. Uh, I'll give Henry a seven. Okay. And you're going to give him a seven because you want to, you don't want to completely shit on him and you, but right. you also want to be realistic. And so I would, then I would say, okay, well, what, what can I, what can he do to get the remaining three points? What can make him a perfect 10? That is the only way I've ever get found real to get feedback. critical feedback on a person other than saying, what are they bad at? Uh, well, you know, they're pretty good. Or like, right. that's, that's what they'll always say. Yeah, that's for it. sure. Because people, like you said, want to be polite. And then people also don't want to like lie right. <laughs> based on their own experience. That is the best way I've ever found to get it. Love it. Okay, uh, yours. Good, good reference check question. For that specific thing? Yeah, I, I know what it is and you should tell it. I don't, I don't remember what because I've told a story once, but I don't even remember what it was. Is this the founder of Second Life told me once who you are, who you want to be, or oh, oh, this one? Yeah, this is a good one. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know I love questions like this. Uh, I ask this in job interviews, um, but I also just ask this in social situations to be awkward. Uh, fill in, I uh, say, hey, we're gonna play a little game. Uh, I want you to fill in the blank. First thing that comes to mind, first answer, best answer. Um, I'm gonna say the first part, you finish it, and I'll say. Um, life is all right. Let's Alan. Let's play. All right, sorry, Henry. You have the mic. So let's play. First answer, best answer. Answer as you go. Uh, life is great. <laughs> People are tough. I am Henry. <laughs> oh, okay. The middle one was the only good yeah. one. Yeah. So, you, and then you, you use it to sort of have a little bit of a conversation. You try not to judge people too much off the top of the mind, but um, I actually just think this is useful for yourself. So this is like your core outlook. It's like. What's life? And you said life is great. Cool. Uh, optimistic, sort of grateful person. Um, then you said people are tough. That's interesting. Why do you say people are tough? Uh, are you, do you have, a, you have a girlfriend? Yeah, I do. Are you guys in a good spot? You, you dealing with some stuff right now? <laughs> you are? You're yeah, new. totally. That's what I What's a situation where people have been tough? Tough to deal with. I don't know. Right now I'm trying to like, like figure out where I'm going and like figure out what job I'm like, ultimately going to career I'm gonna do and it's just like tough like just communicating with other people and like getting them to realize what like you want and like making them like see what you see in yourself people are tough to persuade or yeah. tough to to get on your on your page that's a great question you totally have you like you could see what he struggles with and values yeah and then the, the last one which is I am and you went with Henry which that's is a, a very answer. Literal, literal answer yeah. if you were gonna do another one what would it be I am Okay. Uh, and then the, the second question I'll kind of ask is, uh, so, so I usually pause there. I do the psychoanalysis and then uh, a couple things happen. People are like, oh, okay. And they just like want to leave because they feel so uncomfortable. Or they'll be like, what are yours? 
cool. I like that. That's a good sign when you ask what are yours. Um, and then I'll tell them mine and then they'll do the same thing back to me. And the last question is like, um, I tell them, I said, you know, one thing I did was I, I did those answers top of mind and I didn't really like what I said. And then I just reassessed it. I was like, what do I think the answer should be for me? Like, what do I want my answers to be? What do I want my outlook of life, people and myself to be right? What do I want my mental model to be? And then I revised it. And then the best people come back a few days later and they're like, Hey, by the way, I, uh, you know, I came up with my own and, uh, here's mine. And those are the people I'm like, I'm going to be friends with you for a long, long time. Cause you're like me, you, you like to do this stuff. Clip. <laughs> cool. Uh, I think we're done by the way. I got to call the, the guy from uh, levels. I got to get my, my glucose monitor installed for the weight loss challenge. Oh, okay. We'll do an update on that. I didn't have to call him. I think we're supposed to. Huh. Okay. Well, you could join me on this call. call click together. share. Uh, or is that like a, is there a button, like a share button? If there is, do it. Let's <laughs> help us get more listeners. Thank you. Yeah. Tell a friend. Bye. <laughs>